our name of our company is not, you know, life is perfect and it's not life is easy. We don't believe either one of those. But amongst everything that's going on in our world and in everybody's private world where they're struggling with their certain issues going on in their lives, we still believe that people can choose to view the world as life is good. And um, we believe that, that waking up every day and making that decision, consciously making that decision, changes um, your mentality, it changes the way you show up in the world and um, allows you to be way, way more, quite frankly, happy and successful. That's how success happens. From Entrepreneur Magazine, my name is Robert Tuckman. I self-funded, built up, and eventually sold two businesses to major players in the sports and entertainment industry. And I am fascinated by other entrepreneurial minds and what drives high achieving people. So on this podcast, we're going to learn what they've learned and what it takes to really succeed. Roy Heffernan is an owner and the former chief operating optimist of the Life is Good Company, a $150 million privately held business based in Boston, Massachusetts. What I love about Life is Good is that its brand ethos is about spreading positive vibes with its colorful collection of apparel and accessories. Roy has been directly responsible for multiple business units, ensuring that they delivered on their promises to customers, consumers, and business partners. These included distribution center operations, customer care, finance, IT, human resources, and legal. Under his leadership, Life is Good has carefully modernized its distribution center to handle both increased capacity and vastly expanded product line and extended the company's international reach through the incorporation of Life is Good Global. I had a chance to sit down with Roy and discuss the importance and need for optimism in business and in life. It was an inspiring conversation to say the least. Our conversation is coming up after the break. If you're listening to this podcast, you must recognize the value of asking questions. At Aramco, our questions help us engineer a better future. How can today's resources fuel our shared tomorrow? How can we deliver energy to a world that can't stop? How can we deliver one of the fuels of the future? How can we sow curiosity to harvest ingenuity? To learn more about how innovation drives us forward, visit aramco.com slash powered by how. We're back. Being a chief operating optimist has to be a tough task. You got to do it day in and day out. But I love the idea of this role within an organization. I wanted to know if Roy was always an optimist. I wanted to start out in the beginning. Where was he raised? And what was his home life like as a child? I grew up in Needham, Massachusetts with uh, seven siblings and two great parents. I love that. And was was something along the lines of entrepreneurship or being a business owner was that on your radar at an early age? Well, when it was clear that my mom and dad didn't know what was causing uh, the baby uh, entourage there, um, and my dad decided to uh, start his own company. So I, I grew up with my dad running a um, commercial plumbing contracting company in Boston, and I worked side by side with him for many summers. And so I watched it um, firsthand with a, a dad who was living, you know, long hours and uh, really, really uh, meaningful work that he was doing. Was there something that you took away from working side by side with your father, especially just imagine starting a business with children? You know, there's a lot of pressure, but was there something that 
you learn from him or that experience that you've always carried with you? Well, I'll tell you, one of the most powerful things that I, that I took from my dad is his, um, his attitude of inclusion. Really, before it was a, a popular concept, he was uh, a founding uh, father of the uh, NAACP from his um, early days. And uh, he also was extremely, extremely generous with his, with his employees. Before that really became popular amongst uh, forward-thinking companies. So I watched him carefully how he was um, extremely um, combination of humble and also very generous as a human being. And would you say for you, seeing that, understanding that, that shaped a lot of your life, not only in business, but just in general? I hope so. I sure hope people recognize uh, some level of humility in me because I think it's a super important trait. I really feel like the gifts that we're, each of us are given are just that they're gifts and it's our job to utilize them and leverage them to the best of our ability. I really can't take credit for those gifts. I just have to um, make sure that I'm using them properly. So I know you worked alongside your father. I imagine was that when you were in high school uh, prior to going to college, or was that post or That's both? Right. Yeah, middle, middle school, high school, and college during the summers, certainly when I came home. Yeah, and I think my dad would have liked me to go into the business, but I opted to go a different route at that time. What did you opt to do? Well, immediately I stayed at Middlebury where I graduated up in uh, Middlebury College in Vermont. And um, I stayed there for one year and coached three sports and enjoyed that a lot. But um, decided that I was really not interested in just being that sports oriented. I had played two sports in college. I dedicated a lot of time and effort to that. And um, I just felt like there was something, you know, broader than that out there for me. What sports did, did you play in? And I assume that shaped a lot of who you became. I played football and lacrosse at Middlebury. And um, yeah, enormous impact on me. And I'm so glad uh, looking in the rearview mirror that I went to uh, Middlebury, a D3 school, allowing me to play two sports. You go to D1, you're not going to be playing two sports. So it was a, a, a real pivotal and important decision for me and absolutely the correct one. Was it a tough decision for you to make at that time? You stayed up there, sounded like you love sports, you were coaching, but it sounded like relatively quickly you decided that I need a different path. And what was that path? Yeah, it, it was a tangential path. I went into uh, teaching and coaching at the, uh, at the private school level. And um, I was there for three years in two different schools and, and decided that, um, you know, I was a decent coach, but I was a lousy teacher. So I got out. And then what did you decide to do at that point? And how did you make your way into the, the business world? Yeah, it's a good question. You you know, you get out of you get out of teaching and you say, okay, now now what am I going to do? So at that time, uh, cable television was being built all in the greater Boston area, meaning there weren't wires on the poles. So it was uh, you know brand new industry. So I um, I got involved with that in our town of Needham as the franchising, as they called it, went on, and and the franchising was just really bloody, you know, because it's it's an all or nothing. You either get a a 15-year lucrative franchise or you get nothing. So it's very, very interesting. And the company I was volunteering with, if you will, um, was out of Atlanta. And I soon became the resident expert 
on all meetings because I went to all the meetings while they were in Atlanta. So it was very intriguing. They'd come up and of course they knew the business and I didn't, but um, I was the one who the knowledge on the local level because I was um, attending everything. And um, so that's how I said, okay, I like the, uh, I like this cable industry. And for the next 13 years, I enjoyed high growth and um, a lot of increased responsibility over those years and a lot of fun. And how come you ended up leaving there and, and then tell us how you made your way finally to uh, Life is Good? Well, my next 13 years after cable was um, Tangential Company down in, um, down in Washington, D.C., which was the National Rural Telecommunications Cooperative. And they did a deal with uh, DirecTV to um, launch satellites and to represent rural America. And they needed somebody who understood understood multi-channel video. So they recruited me out of New England and I moved with my wife and two children. We went down to Northern Virginia for 13 years. What was that transition like coming from uh, New England and Boston area and going to Virginia at that time? Well, from a business standpoint, it was very exciting because um, we took the business from zero subscribers and watched the satellites successfully go up in the air, et cetera, to 2 million customers and then sold it back to DirecTV. So it was a really fun and energizing and challenging 13 years in that I was trying to, it was primarily my job to convince rural telephone and rural electric cooperatives to think and act in a competitive environment, which they were a utility and they, were, they weren't used to that. So it was terrific exposure to all kinds of uh, levels of business that were very challenging and really rewarding. From a personal standpoint, I'll take New England over Northern Virginia any day. That said, the diversity down there is terrific because you have many, many contractors and so on coming in and um, working on behalf of the U.S. government. So there was some real benefits to us as a family I recall my kids, you know, in high school being in a very diverse high school as opposed to me at Needham High back in the 70s. Where were you in Northern Virginia? What part? Yeah, I lived in Centerville, Virginia, which yeah. is right near Dulles Airport. And we worked in, uh, I worked in Reston, Virginia. Gotcha. Yeah, I was just celebrating Thanksgiving with my family and my sister and her family are from Northern Virginia. So I, I'm always curious in, in that respect. And they enjoy that saying the diversity and just so many different types of people and such a great area. But but like you, I have to admit, going to Boston University, I would have uh, I love to stay in Boston because there's an energy there for sure. And, you know, let's talk about life is good. You're you're an owner of life is good. It's an incredible story how this business was built. But I want to start because you had a job there as is it the chief optimist? officer? Is that the name of the the job? Because that sounds amazing, but sounds very intimidating. You almost had it right. I was the (laughs) COO, the chief chief operating optimist. Ah, And um, yeah, I was really happy and proud of that title because it kept me, it certainly kept me honest. You know, you couldn't, you didn't have the freedoms to, to uh, get up and not, and not be uh, seeing the world you know, is half the glass is half full, which we, you know, we just believe in the empowerment of optimism. And by that, I mean that everybody has a choice every single day, every single minute to uh, view the world and approach the world and indeed make choices that uh, underscore the power of optimism and what that means in their life. And so we often say, you know, it doesn't say that uh, 
our name of our company is not, you know, life is perfect and it's not life is easy. We don't believe either one of those, but amongst everything that's going on in our world and in everybody's private world where they're struggling with their certain issues going on in their lives, we still believe that people can choose to view the world as life is good. And um, we believe that, that waking up every day and making that decision, consciously making that decision, changes um, your mentality. It changes the way you show up in the world and um, allows you to be way, way more, quite frankly, happy and successful. It's so great to hear that. And I love that brand ethos for life is good. I like to consider myself an optimist, but I've got to admit, it's been it's been a really challenging time this last two years, let's say. And just from the isolation to the sickness and death and just personally have issues like everyone does. How are you able to really wake up each day and make that choice? Is there a technique or is there something... What is it that will give someone that ability to do that? Well, we don't pretend to be psychologists or psychiatrists, but we do know how to use our products and in particular t-shirts to work as a canvas, really powerful and effective canvas for spreading the message. And as Brent will tell you, I, I, um, I spoke recently about our mission, Life is Good's mission, and I love our mission. It's uh, our mission statement because findable and very meaningful words and it's um we will we're, we're here to spread the power of optimism and the key there rob is is that we're not here to spread optimism because if i'm here to spread optimism then it's about me if i'm here to spread the power of optimism now it becomes the receiver of the message and so how does that help us day to day as life is good employees or as individuals and the answer to that is that if you're not doing something that assists the company to spread the power of optimism, stop doing it because whatever it is, you're doing the wrong thing. And um, it's a guide that is a very powerful guide. And we don't have to take a card out of our wallet to tell you what our mission statement is. It's to spread the power of optimism. And I don't care if you started yesterday for Life is Good or if you've been with us for 25 years, you know our mission statement. More from our guest. But first, a word from our sponsors. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you're all alone, especially when things aren't going great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know you're not alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you've worked so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash small business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode of How Success Happens is being presented by State Farm. And our next sponsor. While a little anxious at first, starting my podcast company, Amaze Media Labs Remotely, has actually had its perks. One being I get to source some of the best talent from all over the country, 
rather than back in the old days, just from where my company was based. With hybrid work becoming the norm, I have found strongest teams have two things in common, speed and alignment. Both come from having one hub where everyone can share work and processes, manage projects, and collaborate with clarity. For companies of all sizes, Notion provides one central and customizable workspace that can be tailored to fit any team and bring all teams together to get more done and move faster. Notion is an all-in-one team collaboration tool that combines note-taking, document sharing, wikis, project management, and much more into one space that's simple, powerful, and beautifully designed. Having created an amazing team, Notion was all I needed as that missing piece to our needs to grow, get more done, and delight everyone who uses it in the process. Notion might be your missing piece too. Learn more and get started for free at notion.so. You can check it out on your own and invite as many folks as you want to see how it works. Take that first step toward an organized, happy team today, again, at notion.so. And we're back. Just give us a quick intro, if our listeners don't know, which I'm sure most do, what the Life is Good brand is. I've said a lot of it, actually. We are a lifestyle brand that optimism is empowering and that um, we combine our for-profit with our nonprofit, which is the Life is Good Kids Foundation. And we believe in what we call an integrated model. And we understand that the nonprofit has to be legally separate, but from every other standpoint, we leverage our brand in order to funnel dollars so that we can make a difference through the Kids Foundation in training life, uh, sorry, um, child life and child care providers so that they can First of all, remember why they get into the business, the children. And secondly, and so that and make sure that they understand the and and find their own joy every day. And then translate that to really taking care of kids so that trauma doesn't lock those kids down for their lives. You know, we say to kids, what's wrong with you? It's not what's wrong with you, it's where have you been? And so if we can um, assist that uh, journey for that child by reinforcing and giving tools to the child care and child life providers for zero to six-year-olds, we can change the trajectory of that kid's life. That's what we believe in. Yeah, that's, that's incredible just to be able to do that and such good coming out of that. And it sounds like it would certainly resonate with your father and where you grew up and, and doing good for, for everyone. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. So if you're, you know, we have a lot of entrepreneurs listening or potential entrepreneurs, would-be entrepreneurs, people right now started businesses or struggling, they need optimism. And I know, like you said, it's not, you're not pitching that, but, or it would be for yourself, but are, are there ways or techniques that if I'm a business owner and, you know, this has been a really difficult time and I'm starting to doubt myself, are there things that you know, or have been proven to help people see things in maybe a more optimistic light? Well, I hope I answer this to your liking or so that it helps your listeners. Bert and John founded the company in, in, in 94, and they, they like to say that they've made every mistake in the book. And we have. We, collectively, we've made a lot of mistakes. We've also made a lot of really great decisions. And 
Bert and John in particular, I get I get so proud of them because they set the stage and the foundation for their company change since 1994. And that to me is really impressive. And it always, even when Bert and John and the company didn't have money, it was always a generous company. They found ways to give back. They found ways that had them entirely convinced that their company was more than just bottom line profit. Don't get me wrong. We're capitalists. We're proud to be capitalists. We want to make as much money as we can. And part of that goes back to the Kids Foundation. And if that part remains the same, which it is, it's 10% of our net profits go to the Kids Foundation every year, no matter what. Then the bigger we get, guess what? The more kids we help. So we don't shy away from the word capitalism. We're happy to tell you, yeah, we're we're here to make money and we're here to be as efficient as we can. And we're here to get the winning graphics that are attractive to consumers out there and, and build great product and deliver it on time with excellence. All of that translates to a company that isn't here just for the bottom line. It's the integrated model that uh, for us drives us even in dark times. And we've had our dark times as a company. 2008 was no picnic for anybody. We lost a good percentage of our company that those couple of years after that. And, um, you know, as you know, many brands were not a company, went out of business. Uh, we didn't. Um, we shrunk. And now since then, we've um, back and we'll do 150 million this year as a company. So we're not enormous, but we're a good sized company that can make a difference if we choose to. And so my answer to your question is, if I was an entrepreneur out there and I was struggling right now, I would try to take a, a step back and slow down and make sure that the building blocks that your company uh, initially uh, got built upon are balanced and they're correct and they include something other than the bottom line. Yeah, I think it's really difficult to do that, especially during tough times. And it sounds like you've gone through, was 08 the hardest time for the business? Well, I wasn't here for the first 10. So Bert and John were living out of a van in the beginning. So they didn't see that as negative and they didn't see that as problematic. But I would say those were pretty tough times as a lot of entrepreneurs will echo that the beginning years when you're trying to get your feet set, um, it's challenging. Certainly since I've been with Life is Good, the shrinking years after 08 were, were difficult. I mean, you're trying to hang on to good people. You're trying to get your company back on solid financial footing. And, and the decisions that you make there are just critically important, as you know. And, um, but there's lots to be proud of when I look back. We hung tough. Lots of infighting can occur during those tough times. And we didn't. The six of us love each other, the owners. And um, I think that bleeds over onto, into our entire company. Why was 08 so, you know, we look back and I remember it's the financial crisis, right? Or the, the mortgage crisis. Why, why was it such a difficult time for your company? A home? You were selling a lot of t-shirts and, and goods, but why was it so difficult for you? We had the wrong business model. Up until that point, we had the same business model since 2004. And it was based, uh, sorry, since 1994, it was based upon, you know, the wholesale business model where we were selling through other people. Well, we got into e-commerce early on, but didn't embrace it to the level that uh, we have today. And um, thankfully, we made some decisions on the CapEx side and on the operating side before COVID. And then COVID just completely exaggerated the need for just uh, the, the development and growth of e-com. And that's not, we're not alone in that. That happened to everybody. 
So we were budgeted in 2020 to be 50-50 with wholesale and e-com. And we ended up 85-15, 85% on the e-com side. So obviously the investments that we made prior to COVID were just critically important. As I look back on the difficult times after 08, we were stuck in a in an old business model that quite frankly, um, a lot of companies still are. And I like the position we're in a lot. If you were to give advice to some young entrepreneurs out there or older entrepreneurs starting a business today after going through a lot of these and obviously being a, a optimist, I assume yourself, uh, which I actually didn't ask you, but I, I have to assume that now he could tell me. But, <laughs> but what advice would you give to someone who is just looking to go out there, start right now, hopefully coming out of this pandemic? What would you say to those people? We have a definition of brand that is you'll never read, I don't think, in a, um, a marketing textbook. But I think it's critically important. And I would say to a young entrepreneur that our definition of brand and, our de- and, and their definition of their brand should be or could be, know who you are and act like it. Know who you are and act like it. Now, you say, well, that's easy. No, it isn't. When you're struggling to make payroll, there are lots of ways to make payroll. And many of them are not what you want to stand for relative to your brand. I'll give you an example. There were lots of times during Life is Good's life where we had big box retailers come to us and say, okay, we'll take your, we'll take your brand. Here's how we're going to do it. Well, sorry, but that's not how we want you to do it. That's not what we stand for. But when you're a $3 million company and you're looking to grow and there, and you know, a, a big box comes to you and wants to sell your stuff and it's going to double your revenue in the next few years, you better know who you are and then act like it. And um, the only way to do that is to really do a good job defining who you are. And that is um, another example of where I just think Bert and John did just a terrific, terrific job early on in their in their life cycle. It sounds like there must have been those types of opportunities for the brand in the past. To me, it sounds like they didn't jump in to a lot of those, which could have seemed like the quick fix. Is that right. correct? And 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 what was the re? And there must have been debates, but. What was the reasoning behind that? We knew who we were and, and we were going to act like it. And, and we, what we didn't want to become is a commodity t-shirt company. That's not who we are. It's not what we're trying to accomplish. So you might know the um, concept of uh, a big giant. Uh, sorry, a little giant. Got that wrong. A little giant. Patagonia a few years ago made a decision that they would be a little giant. And they were at the time about uh, $300 million. And um, it's so interesting to me because the concept of a little giant is that you know, you know who you are and, and you're going to act like it. And in their case, they decided 300 million is just fine. We're going to be the best outdoor garment retailer that protects the environment in the world. And in essence, they kind of put their stake in the ground and said, we're good with this size. Thank you very much. With that decision, they quickly, they quickly grew over to a billion dollars. Why? Because they knew who they were and they were acting like it. Yeah. I love that. I love putting your stake in the ground and saying, this is who we are. And there's so many temptations, like you said, I'm sure a a Walmart or whoever comes to you and says, we're going to blow out 
X number of cases. And it's a very sometimes, unfortunately, easy decision for companies to make. But it, it sounds like in your case and, and other cases like Patagonia, sticking to who you are, believing in who you are. And the most interesting thing there is Patagonia, life is good. You probably grew and expanded because you knew that and you were focused on running a good business, socially impactful business. That's what's amazing. But it's such a hard thing to make that decision in a moment. Yeah. It takes a bunch of things. It takes clarity and then it takes discipline. And then it takes um, having your core, whether it's your owners or your senior leadership team or both, just truly living the brand. And, and if, you, if, you're not, if you don't have those things going for you, the temptation to make one of those decisions is really too great. And it's typically, in my opinion, the wrong decision. You know, in the little time, I want to ask you two more questions. One is optimism, as we, we talked about a lot. Is there advice you have in, in terms of, you know, I know we touched on this a little bit, but is there any advice where, you know, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you're starting a business, as everyone knows, as you do, there's days you feel like you're on top of the world. The next, the next day, you could feel at your lowest level. And it just is like a, a roller coaster, having been through it myself a few times. And is there anything people could take that can keep them on target? And I guess what I'll say is pick themselves off the mat. Because from all the interviews I've done from being an entrepreneur, that is like the number one trait of a successful entrepreneur, picking themselves off the mat and being optimistic. Yeah. I know I'm looking for like this secret answer here, <laughs> but like, is there anything you might share? Well, someone asked me recently, you know, what, what, would, you, what would you say to some young entrepreneurs or what have you? And if you view failure, in quotes, failure, as something to truly celebrate, it changes, uh, it changes that rough day, you know? And um, if, if truly you're, you know, one of the things we say is that life is good is enjoy the journey. I mean, you know, we get so hung up with, geez, I want to own that house. I want to find the right you know, uh, significant other. I want to get to retirement. I want to whatever. I mean, you, what are we going to just wish our way to death? I mean, why don't we slow down a little bit and enjoy the journey? And even like uh, Brent, who brought us together, he's got finals now for the end of this semester. Okay, so you can view that as just a complete pain in the butt and something you abhor or whatever, or you can embrace it and say, even if I struggle on this particular final, what, what am I going to learn from it? And how am I going to gain momentum from that? And that's what we do. We gain momentum for failure. I mean, you show me, you show me a, a successful entrepreneur that hasn't failed. There aren't any. And enjoying the journey and understanding that there's value in every step of that way, I think, again, kind of changes your, you know, your perspective on that quote unquote bad day. Well, what if the bad day brings you the greatest growth, which many of them do? We don't grow when we don't grow when we're whistling Dixie. We grow when we're in the trenches. And so, I guess I would invite people to try to kind of change the channel on that and don't view bad days as bad days. Yeah, I, I love that. It's so true. I can't imagine how many of my worst days in business actually turned out to be 
the reason that we made major changes and were successful with our, our company. It's just so hard. You're living it, you're in it, and you could dread. But when you do look at it like, hey, this will pass and we might learn from this and grow and it's a journey, it's a lot easier to swallow and understand. And I love that what you just shared. And before I let you go, I want to ask in terms of life is good and your yourself now and your role as, as one of the owners, where do you see you growing, going your journey and the companies over the next three to five years? Yeah. And as you know, three to five years is a lifetime now. <laughs> we have made some monumental CapEx decisions and operating decisions, uh, including hiring a new president recently that was doing a terrific job. He's a year in now to the job. So the next three to five years are going to be continue to test and learn because there's learning going on every day. An example is we didn't replace our humans, but we augmented our human beings up at our distribution center with robots just over the last two months. What a change in everything. So exciting. Changes like that take a little time. You don't just come out of the gate. I don't care how well you planned with a, a perfectly clean slate and a, everybody happy as a lark. So we're going to quote unquote digest some of those uh, investments that we've made, really fine tune it, become more and more efficient. Most importantly, uh, continue to listen carefully with our online uh, work and our social networking work with our customers. As right now, we've just got a great scenario where we'll come out with, um, with something we call tease for the times. So, for instance, uh, you know, when the equality issues were really, really hot for everybody, they continue to be now. But a year ago, when uh, Black Lives Matter and other very, very critical issues from the justice side and on the equality side were going on, we'd come out with um, a tease for the times package that gave people an optimistic view, always based on optimism, of what equality might look like and feel like. And so I see us just continuing to refine that and to understand how we can do what? What's our mission? Spread the power of optimism. So how many ways can we do that? And in what kind of um, additional quality can we build into those messages that we are so dedicated to trying to share, allowing for people to feel empowered? Roy, I want to thank you for coming on How Success Happens. That was uh, super inspiring, certainly as an entrepreneur. And uh, I love the brand. I love the optimistic message because I, I, I am a firm believer that without that, you can't be successful. So appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. It was an honor and uh, appreciate uh, having me on. And that's our episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to How Success Happens wherever you get your podcasts. We come out with a new episode every Wednesday morning and you don't want to miss it. And if you like to share, please feel free to pass along the show to an entrepreneur friend who could use a boost and I could always use the subscribers. And do you have ideas for guests? I always love to hear about great entrepreneurs. If you know anyone, shoot me an email at hsh at entrepreneur.com or on Twitter at Robert Tuckman. That's R-O-B-E-R-T-T-U-C-H-M-A-N. Or even send me a message on LinkedIn. How Success Happens is a production of Entrepreneur Media. Be sure to visit entrepreneur.com for insight on building your business. Or even better yet, subscribe to our magazine. No joke, I found my first job after reading about a company in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 1990s. 
It's always been my absolute favorite magazine for entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening and spending some time with me today. Until next time, my name is Robert Tuckman, just a fellow entrepreneur and your host. See you soon.